Let's pray. God, it is your voice that we long for this morning, uh, thundering into our lives, mighty and powerful, the voice of wisdom instructing us, the voice of justice inspiring us, the voice of hope encouraging us, and the voice of love calling us to yourself. So give us ears to hear this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand as we sing together. I am not a huge fan of movies that have weird endings. I've watched a few that seem like the director just turned off the camera and said, okay, I'm tired, it's a wrap, you know. I much prefer films with a happily ever after ending. The battle's won, the couple gets together, the star rides off into the sunset. You know, that's really what should happen, should have happened here in our story in 1 Kings 19. Elijah, if you were here last week, you might recall, had just won this great victory over the pagan god Baal in front of all of Israel. Essentially, Elijah rented out the Ford field of his day, and he challenged Baal to a public duel. And the victory was epic. He was outnumbered 850 prophets to one. There was a lot of righteous trash-talking going on, some holy sarcasm with these prophets of Baal, but in the end, Elijah came out the winner. Now, God answered Elijah's prayer decisively with fire from heaven, and in the end, the whole crowd is chanting, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, the Lord is God, and that's when you would expect Elijah to throw up his hands and say, I'm out of here, ladies and gentlemen. Leave on a high note, ride off into the sunset. We might expect Elijah to revel in this victory for the rest of his life. But instead, his high on Mount Carmel is followed by a spiritual low, kind of depression. Now before we get into this story, could we acknowledge the fact that our lives are very much like that sometimes, right after this high moment, some special occasion, some great victory in our life, a spiritual high, we fall back into a spiritual low. Some old temptation or something goes wrong in our life that kind of spoils it all. It was that way for Jesus as well, right after having God the Father declare from heaven, this is my son whom I love. Jesus is driven out into the wilderness for 40 days without food and water to be tempted by Satan. Now, for many of us, we've tried to obey God, and we've experienced some success at that. But then life took a turn that we weren't expecting. Our marriage fell apart. The kids grew up and chose not to follow Jesus. The business tanked. We find ourselves wondering, God, I really thought I could see where this was going. Did I do something wrong? Are you even there? And this is the experience that this passage is dealing with. It's dealing with God's people getting depressed. Now, I realize that depression is a loaded word because there's no, uh, there are so many different kinds of depression ranging from people who are just really discouraged to those who are clinical or chemically uh, have issues going on. My purpose today is not to diagnose the different kinds of depression or provide one solution to them all. Uh, but I think in this passage, you'll see that a lot of things speak to different dimensions of depression. 
Here's where we left Elijah last week. After this stunning victory on Mount Carmel and empowered by the Holy Spirit, Elijah outruns Ahab's chariot to the city of Jezreel, which is the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And you can imagine that Elijah at this point is expecting a great revival of faith among God's people. He's expecting them to rise up in unified commitment to God because of what they had just seen God do. And he might have even assumed that Ahab, the spineless king, and his wicked witch of a wife, Jezebel, would either repent or be thrown out of town. At that point, he would come riding into the city to a hero's welcome. Let's look at the story in 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning with verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now notice, <laughs> there is no rebirth of faith here. There's no hero's welcome for Elijah. He doesn't even get a plaque for what he had done on Mount Carmel. Jezebel has not repented, nor has anyone ousted Jezebel and Ahab from office. Far from that. She's still on the throne. She's still barking orders, and now she's ordering his death. So he goes back into hiding. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. And then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Now, I think it's pretty safe to say that Elijah's depressed. He wants to die. What, had, what he had hoped would happen and expected to happen has not happened. He's angry with God. He thought he knew God and what he could expect, but now he's just not so sure anymore. Have you ever felt like that? You do everything right. God seems to come through and then, bam, a setback. And you wonder, where did all of that come from, God? Look at verse 5. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree, but as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some baked bread, uh, bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, or, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left. And now they, have all, they are all trying to kill me too. What we see in this story is God doing three things. First, God sends an angel to Elijah, an angel of rest. Now, angels in the Bible, in case you didn't know, are always on assignment. They're not just kind of 
fluttering their wings and laying on clouds like we may think they are. They're always on assignment for God, and they're never just roaming around. This one is sent to Elijah to take care of him. And the angel doesn't say to Elijah, hey, buddy, why don't you show some faith for a change? Or Elijah, get your act together. Or Elijah, here's a book on emotional stress. Why don't you read it and think about it? Instead, the angel touches him and makes some nice hot food for him, and then Elijah takes a nap, and the angel uh, sends him to a cave in the mountain. And one of the things that we learn from that exchange is that God listens. In verse 9, it tells us that God asks, Where are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, whenever God asks a question, it's not because he's seeking information. He's given Elijah a chance to express his feelings. And then God listens to him. Back in verse 3, we notice that Elijah pushed away his servant and his best friend, and he went off into the desert alone. And this is what not to do in a time of depression. Dump your friends and try to go it alone. We need each other. We also learn that God takes three different approaches in dealing with Elijah's depression. God ministers to him first physically, through touch and through food and through a nap. God ministers to him spiritually by dealing with his wrong-headed view of God, and then God deals with Elijah psychologically. He listens to him. You see, some people like to view human beings as if we are exclusively or primarily physical. So anytime we're depressed, we should just take some time off, uh, get rid of what's causing us stress, and take a pill. We're physical human beings. Others view people as if we are exclusively spiritual. These are folks who say, oh, you're depressed? Show some faith. Quit sinning. Turn to God. Get over it. They think the idea of taking a pill or identifying physical causes of depression is essentially to betray the faith. But there's a third group of people who view depression as primarily psychological. It'll be all better if you just talk it out. But in reality... In this story, God uses all three. God made us as a being with a soul and a spirit that is united to and clothed with a body, and we can't neatly separate those things. So the angel ministers to Elijah physically, spiritually, psychologically. Sometimes, and you've never heard your preacher say this, sometimes we don't need another prayer or another sermon when we're feeling low, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling discouraged, what we need most in our life is a nap. Maybe a vacation. Maybe just to be hugged. Maybe a weekend away with your spouse. Maybe we just need to sit down and read a good book. And so this might be your action step from today's message. Go home and take a nap. You know, I'd prefer you wait till you get home rather than starting now. But some of us are physically exhausted. We're drained. We're tired. And when we get tired, our emotions get out of whack. And so the angel comes to Elijah and ministers to him by allowing Elijah to talk out his feelings. He is a friend to him first. The Old Testament book of Psalms are all about people venting to God. Being godly does not is not about pretending that our emotions don't exist. 
Sure, some of them need corrected from time to time. Not every emotion is illegitimate, but we can't correct the source of the emotion if we don't get it out there. So our emotions are not usually good or bad. They are simply indicators of what's going on inside of us. And so expressing the emotion often helps us to figure out what's going on deeper down in our heart. Some people find that journaling is a way to do that, writing out their feelings like David did. The Old Testament book of Psalms are David's prayer journal. Some of them are quite emotional. In addition, we need to have people around us. Some of us, like Elijah, have left our friends behind, which is a mistake. And I know we want to be alone to wallow in our pain sometimes and our suffering, but that's a mistake. Letting our emotions grow in a secret garden is always a mistake. So the angel ministers to Elijah spiritually by giving him God's word. Now, I can't diagnose what you need uh, to help you overcome those low times in your life. Usually, it's a combination of things. And usually, um, it's a combination of physical and emotional and psychological sources that need to be addressed. Sometimes, depression and discouragement is spiritually based, even if we don't think our depression is tied up in our emotions. And spiritually rooted depression usually has stages. It often starts with grief or unfulfilled expectations, and it progresses into self-pity and brooding and anger and bitterness, and it finally reaches that stage when we see no way out, and we just want to give up. We call that despair. We call it hopelessness. Let's see what's next for Elijah, beginning in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, here again, Elijah's whining once more. He replies, I have zealously served the Lord, the God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets, and I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord tells him, go back in the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram, and then Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel, and anointing Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of whatever the name of that town is, to replace you as, a pro- as my prophet. And anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. And yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed their knee to Baal or kissed him. So what is all that about? Elijah is at Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai, as it's also known. Do you remember Mount Sinai? That's where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and made a covenant with Israel. Do you remember the scene? God descended on Mount Sinai in fire and thunder and earthquakes. Elijah knew those stories. He knew that in a previous time, God was in the fire, he was in the thunder, he was in the earthquake on this very mountain. And in fact, those were all frequent 
representations of God's presence in the Bible. And Elijah knew those stories, but now the Lord is not in any of those things. He is in the small, low voice that Elijah hears after all those things happened. What's the implication for us? God's voice in our lives doesn't always come in ways that we expect. But that doesn't mean that God isn't speaking. Just because God isn't working in our life the way we expect him to work doesn't mean that he's not at work in us. In verses 15 through 18, God reveals his plan to Elijah. He's working with a pagan king that Elijah's never heard of to bring judgment to the evil King Ahab and Jezebel. And he's got 7,000 people in reserve, secret agents in Israel that Elijah knows nothing of. Elijah, you see, had put God in a box, like we often do, expected God to work in the ways that he could understand that God would work. Elijah thinks that God has let him down, but God hasn't let him down. Elijah's limited view of God and how God works is what's let him down. So the first thing we have to learn is that we have to defer to the wisdom of God. Have you ever gotten to the stage in your life when you looked back and saw a time in your life when God uh, was, it, it looked like God was absent, but he was actually at work doing something good? Now, if we can see that from our limited perspective, look back and see one or two instances of that happening, isn't it possible that we might be able someday to look back at all the pain and the struggles that we've had in life and see God's purpose behind it all. So there's a second thing we need to learn, and that is to embrace the love and the grace of God. God calls Elijah out of the cave in verse 11, but Elijah doesn't come out of the cave until verse 13. What happens in verse 12? Well, the tornado and an earthquake came and they, it broke the mountain into pieces. And if those things tore the mountain into pieces, why didn't it tear Elijah to pieces? But it didn't. God keeps Elijah in the mountain, in the mountain, so that the mountain absorbs the intensity of the tornado and the fire and the earthquake. And when Elijah comes out of that experience, he hears God's still small voice. You see, the tornado and the earthquake and the fire are all pictures of God's judgment. Elijah was hidden by God in a cave so that the mountain absorbed those things and it didn't touch him. And the mountain absorbed the judgment and Elijah only got to experience the grace of God. God's voice was a low whisper symbolizing that God came to Elijah in a very close and intimate way. See, God is giving Elijah a picture of something else that we see now more clearly because we live on this side of the New Testament. Elijah shows up again in the New Testament, in person. Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Elijah shows up in person in the New Testament, okay? One of you. You need to read your Bibles more. But Elijah shows up with Moses. Moses had at one time experienced the exact same thing that Elijah did, and God showed himself on the mountain to Moses, but he sheltered Moses, we're told, in a cleft, in a cave in the rock, so, while God's glory passed by so that it wouldn't destroy him. Now, right before Jesus' death in the New Testament, the disciples see Jesus on top of the mountain in all of his glory, and he's standing between Moses and Elijah. And he's talking with them. 
And yet this time, God's glory does not kill them. Why? Because Jesus was the rock. That mountain into which these prophets were hidden from God's judgment. On the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw in person the rock which hid them. But what Elijah and Moses got to see in shadow, we now get to see in substance because we've, we can learn and understand and experience what Christ is and who he was on earth. Jesus on the cross got the tornado. He got the earthquake. He got the fire of God's wrath so that we could experience God's forgiveness and God's love. And that means that when, whenever God doesn't do what we think he's really he should be doing in our life, we don't have to doubt his goodness and his control. Think about it. God's goodness toward us was forever demonstrated on the cross. He prayed for our forgiveness even when Roman soldiers were pounding nails into his hands. And he loved us even when we were his enemy. And so when we're discouraged or depressed and feeling alone, we're not. Jesus went through some very dark days in his life so that we would not have to feel that God has forsaken us. Some days we may feel like all hope is lost and our life is a lot out of control, but it's not. There have never been a time when it looked more like God was out of control than when his son was being slain by wicked men, and yet there was never a time when God was probably more in control, working our salvation for our good and his glory. See, it's a good, all-powerful, and all-wise God who was fully in charge at the cross, and you know what? We can, we can be assured that he is in charge in our life, even when it's, he's not doing things that we expect him to do. Twice in this passage, God asks Elijah why he's depressed, and twice Elijah responds with a mixture of truth and error. Elijah says, I've been zealous for you. True. The Israelites have rejected you. True. They've killed all your prophets. True. I'm the only one left. Totally false. God has 7,000 people, 7,000 people in Israel that Elijah doesn't know about. And he's about to raise up another prophet with twice the power of Elijah. His name is Elisha. We'll study him later in this series. And ultimately, God is going to bring Jesus into this mess, and he will be the fulfillment of everything that Elijah has begun. Elijah thinks that he's alone, but he's not. Do you realize how wrong that is? Elisha is coming, Jesus is coming. But this is how depression and despair often works. The, mo the momentum of a few things leads us to some dangerously false conclusions. It's all lost. God, it's useless. My family's never going to change. My friends are never going to listen. The, my work situation's never going to change. It's never going to get any better. There's no one who cares about me. I'm never going to be happy. All of that is false. Our depressed self is whispering those conclusions to us, and we have to stop listening to them. Stop listening and start talking, start speaking God's truth into our life. I am not alone. On the cross, Jesus proved that. My future is not dim. The resurrection declares that, and I can be happy again. I can have joy in my life. Tell your discouragement and sadness that its days are numbered. 
It will ultimately be vanquished for all of eternity when our redeemed soul experiences everlasting joy in the Father's presence. So if we never get over the despair and depression in this life, we need to realize at least that it's not permanent. God says to Elijah, I'm working on a plan beyond anything beyond your, that you've ever considered, and it involves God's Son himself coming to earth. Elijah, you may feel like your efforts have been, have been wasted and you failed, but it's not so. See, when we get to heaven, we're going to see that there was no act of faithfulness that was ever wasted. There was no unanswered prayers. Nothing done in God's name is ever wasted. In every cross of pain and suffering and deprivation that we go through in this life, um, God is working the miracle of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong, be immovable, always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I want you to look at verse 15 again in closing. The story ends with God telling Elijah to get back to the business of being a prophet. God says, get back to giving out the word of God. Get back to training up more people for God. Get back to anointing rulers. You see, for us, whatever God has for us to do, no matter how despondent we become, we need to get back to doing what God has called us to do. Back to being a dad. Back to being a mom back to being a faithful wife or a husband or a witness to our friends. You see, God is always working in our life. People tend to think that in Bible times, God's work was pretty clear and easy to understand, but it's not true. Elijah had questions just like us. He was despondent and he got depressed, but God was always working. He's working in our situations as well. And his still small voice of tenderness and grace is always speaking if we will listen. Depression is not the absence of God's word, but sometimes it is a word of God for us. I've known people who chose to use it to trust that God meant something by it and could work through it. There may be no better cure for depression than to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to seek to realize afresh the power of Jesus Christ in our life. By God's infinite love and by Jesus' death on the cross, he covered our sins and he offers us new life. So let me ask you this morning, are you in the well today, the well of despondency or despair? You see, there's no pit in this life so deep that Jesus Christ is not there deeper still. The only thing that can overcome the deep well of despondency is the even deeper arm of God's grace and love if we will receive it. Let's pray. God, help us all today who are battling the inner demons of depression and despair and loneliness and hopelessness and shine your heavenly light, that warm heavenly light down on each of us. We, need, we are in need of strength and courage. So help us to be gentle with ourselves whenever we regress and fall back into those moments, those low moments of life, then give us courage and strength to move forward in your perfect way. Guide us to find peace and happiness and contentment in you and in ourselves and in the life that you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name.